0: With fall camp starting around the country, this is the time of the year when quarterbacks are supposed to separate themselves from their competition. Oh, yeah, it's Locked On HBCU. Play my music. You are Locked On HBCU, your daily podcast covering HBCU sports. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. at USA Today's Saints Wire. I appreciate you for making this your first listen of the day every day. But remember, just because the mic cuts off does not mean that the journey is over. It just means it's time to follow me on Twitter at South exclusive starts with the nest, ends with the nest. Today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn. In these days, every new potential hire can feel like a high stakes wager for your small business. And that's why LinkedIn jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. Post your job for free at LinkedIn.com slash locked on college. Terms and conditions do apply. We wrap up today's episode discussing the new athletic director, and though many people might be disappointed it isn't Ashley Robinson, I still believe that Prairie View A&M got a good hire. Before that, we'll define the legacy of now Hall of Famer Ken Riley and former FAMU Rattler player and coach. But to start it all off, it is fall. Your season is about to start. You're getting ready to cheer for your favorite team, but right now your school is in fall camp. And I'm going to tell you exactly what I want to see in fall camp. Fall camps are the time in which quarterbacks and quarterback battles are supposed to separate themselves. Simple and plain. That is what you need to happen in a fall camp. Now I understand that you could kind of say that about the majority of positions on the team. I get it. I a hundred percent do, but the importance of the quarterback position is what makes this have to stand alone because I specifically want my quarterbacks to separate themselves in fall camp more so than any other spot. If it doesn't happen, this is what I usually see. If it doesn't happen, if no quarterback separates themselves completely and one is the guy, right? If you don't come out with one player being the guy, most times you'll go through week one, maybe even week two and they'll do, swap out position or a uh, possession so quarterback a might get the first quarter the quarterback b might get the second quarter right and it's usually not more than two now i'll tell you when this actually feels i want to say it doesn't matter but usually with bigger schools when they do things like this they're facing small schools right so it's a little bit different when you're the small school and maybe you're facing a big school, but you look at someone like Jackson state where well, you're facing South Carolina state and you're facing FAMU. I don't think you can really afford to go into week two doing this whole. I'm going to have multiple quarterbacks playing. If I'm not actually running a two quarterback system, that's a completely different thing, right? Because I think, I think there's a, a CAC school who is actually running a two quarterback system this year. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm discussing when you actually want to have one quarterback, but you just haven't made your decision. So now you have to play multiple throughout the game. I like my decisions to already be made to compare that to someone else, to another position, excuse me. If it's a linebacker and I'm trying to decide who I want to be the linebacker, well, switching out linebackers isn't rare. Quarterback, offensive line, those are one of the few positions where you're banking on them to play 100% of the snaps. It's a little bit different of a situation, so I wouldn't completely compare that. Like, I could switch out my safety. I could switch out – like, I switch out defensive personnel based off what I want oftentimes anyway, so the idea of splitting reps, it's not as – it's not like a, okay, it's it's just a shrug type of thing because I see it all the time. Even if I weren't in a quarterback battle, a linebacker, a safety battle, I would see it no matter what. But in a quarterback battle, no, I I don't want to swap out my quarterbacks. And then here's the other thing you'll see a lot of times in the spring or sometimes in the spring, a quarterback will separate himself from the pack, you know, and that's great because now once fall starts, you don't have to worry about having a battle. That is your starting quarterback all the fall and you have three, four weeks to really get it together and make sure that you have everybody on the same page. And I'm certain that it helps out the other players as well. Now they get to, Be with if you're in a quarterback battle They get to be with all of the quarterbacks anyway So if you're looking at them They still get to Go with the first uh, quarterback Second quarterback so it's just a matter of Building out chemistry You've already worked with them it's just Honing in that chemistry a little bit more But I would assume That everybody benefits from there But let's walk it back and let's try kind of Run this back real quick because the tagline Is fall camps Are when quarterbacks are supposed to separate. Now let's go both ways that we looked at this again, because it is twofold, right? The way I started is, I'm a little bit concerned if that doesn't happen. This is when I need it to happen. It's imperative that it happens at this moment because I don't want to be in a situation where I'm playing multiple quarterbacks week one, week two. And that's, that's not what I prefer to do. I don't think coaches prefer to do it either. It's just kind of a means to an end. It's a, I, don't, I, I don't know who to pick right now. I need to make the decision. But if I had the choice I would have made this decision already. Nobody wants to go into the season like that because there's quarterback battles where two quarterbacks are excelling. And it's like, I just can't tell which one is the guy. And there's quarterback battles where no one's excelling. And I just can't tell which is the guy. You come to the same result. They're both tough choices. But one's significantly better for you. A tough choice made out of positivity and a tough choice made out of negativity. And you usually know when that choice is made out of negativity because the quarterback gets benched partway through the year. Then he ends up coming back, not because the other guy got hurt, just because the other guy wasn't that good anyway. We've seen that happen. If you've seen the quarterbacks just bounce around and play musical chairs, trust me, nine times out of ten, that was a quarterback battle. That was decided on some, I got to pick somebody. Got to pick somebody. And then the second part of that, the second fold within that is just the conversation of this is when it should happen. Most times that doesn't happen in the fall. Most times you're not looking at a quarterback who is very new to the system. Someone who is just now starting to get into the swing of things, getting a playbook, maybe even might've just transferred, just came into the program. You're not looking for them to completely separate themselves within four weeks of having that playbook not, not looking for them to separate themselves in that spring practice. But once the fall comes around, now you're going to see who's really been in their playbook. Who's been hitting up the teammates to build chemistry, to run routes, during the summer. Now you just get to know who they are as a man, because this is the leader of your program. This is the leader of your offense more times than it isn't. So what are we really going to do in the spring? Or excuse me, not what we're really going to do in the spring. What are we going to see in the fall that we didn't see in the spring? I'm going to assume I'm going to have advanced understanding from my quarterback. I'm going to have an advanced understanding of my quarterback. And both of those things are going to be important. So not only is finding your quarterback, your starting quarterback essential and imperative in the fall, more times than not this is exactly when it happens. So this is what you should expect. So no matter how you look at it, the fall is when quarterbacks truly begin to separate. And now, let's look at someone who else separated, and that is Ken Riley, the former FAMU defensive back, or excuse me, former FAMU quarterback and then professional defensive back. And we'll discuss why his legacy is defying the odds as we continue with Locked On HBCU. Today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. And LinkedIn Jobs is imperative, kind of like finding your, your quarterback in the fall. LinkedIn Jobs is imperative for all small business owners, and it's free to use. That's the beautiful part about all of this, is that you don't have to sit around and pay big money to promote your brand, to promote your your company, all you have to do is go to LinkedIn.com/slash Locked On College, and you can post your job for free. That's right, not a single penny out of pocket, and you can post your job to get to one of the eight hundred million users, and they can help you find the right people faster. All you have to do is go to LinkedInJobs.com/slash, or excuse me, LinkedIn.com/slash Locked On College. That is LinkedIn.com/slash Locked On College. You ain't spending nothing but a little bit of time. Not a single dime Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Now we continue rolling on today's episode of Locked On HBCU. I appreciate you for making us your first listen of the day. Every day and for my everydayers is out there. I appreciate you sincerely and tomorrow. We'll be discussing the HBCU players who have made the Buck Buchanan Award watch list, which is the watch list for the best FCS defensive player. The FCS, not just HBCU players, even though we have seen players like Isaiah Land win it not that long ago. But right now, I want to honor, speaking of Isaiah Land, I want to honor Fam, you great Ken Riley. And this is a little bit different than how we typically do things. Most times a topic like this would have been on a feature Friday. But Ken Riley went into the Hall of Fame this Saturday. We already had the Trazon Conley interview lined up for last. He went in there last Saturday. We already had the Trazon Conley interview lined up for the last Friday. So I didn't, I didn't have any space in there on that Friday to discuss this, but I wanted to make sure that we did it and I didn't want to wait. A week. I wanted to honor Ken Riley as close to his enshrinement as possible. So, for that, let's discuss Ken Riley's legacy and what exactly is it. To me, it's one of defying the odds, and I think you see that in a multitude of ways. You see it not only through his playing career professionally, but you also see it in simply the fact that he made it to the Hall of Fame. Because one could argue neither one of those things were truly either should have happened or looked like they were going to happen at different points, but enough talking around it and speaking vaguely. Let's go ahead and discuss it. So Ken Riley is a Florida AM Rattler. He's actually the second Rattler to be inducted into the NFL hall of fame. And at FAMU, he was a quarterback and that's where things get a little bit interesting because he was a quarterback at FAMU. He was drafted by the Cincinnati Bengals as a quarterback. He went into practice as a quarterback. And then either the second or third practice, this is the telling of Mike Brown, who uh his, his father was the coach at the time, Paul Brown. Coach Brown walks up to Ken Riley and says, go over there with the defensive backs. You have a natural defensive back movement. I have no idea how he could have possibly seen that. Because it worked out, we'll see he had a, a great eye for talent. But to me, it's like, how could you see that? How did you know that he would be a defensive back? What about throwing the football made you say this guy could backpedal and he could run? I I don't know. Maybe there was other things happening. But the truth of the matter is, when you switch a quarterback on a professional level to defensive back, he's not supposed to be successful. He's not. He's definitely not supposed to turn into a Hall of Famer. He's definitely not supposed to be anything that Ken Riley was with or without the Hall of Fame designation. You, you switched a man who had never played defensive back. He said, I didn't do that. It's not like you switched a former defensive back back to defensive back. You switched a guy who was a quarterback, a pretty successful quarterback at FAMU, might I, might I add, and said, you know what, you go ahead and play defensive back. And I'll be honest with you, it was probably the best thing for his career, not only because he ended up being a Hall of Famer, but the Bengals had drafted a quarterback, I think fifth overall, but it was somewhere in the first round. I want to say fifth overall you likely weren't even going to be given the opportunity to beat that guy out if there was no injury. So you kind of went from a position where you had the skill set but probably no real opportunity to a position where you had no real skill set but you had the opportunity. And he quickly developed that skill set being a starting cornerback in the first year. See, you're not supposed to have the career that Ken Riley had, but you're for sure not supposed to go be the starting cornerback Year one after switching over from being a quarterback, right? I know oftentimes we can say it and they sound similar, but trust and believe these things are completely different. I will say that being a quarterback likely helped him because you had to have an understanding of what everyone did. Even as a linebacker or as a middle linebacker, you have that same thing. But a quarterback, you need to know everything on the offense. And you really need to know everything that the defense is doing so that your offense can work the correct way. It can it can orchestrate and it can, it can operate the same way as the coach designed it up to operate, right? So I would say that probably helped him. But still, that's a very difficult task. So that was the first time that he defied the odds. And let's see exactly how he did it. You're looking at a, a player who has 65 interceptions, which is tied for fifth with Charles Woodson. And he's actually the second most Interceptions by a cornerback only behind Rod Woodson, right? So the Woodsons are real connected to good old Ken Riley. But one thing that I find interesting in just seeing exactly where he landed all time in interceptions is that if you look at the top five, and I guess six because five is tied, but if you look at those, Charles Woodson, who was fifth, tied with Riley, is the only player who really played in the modern pass-heavy era all most of these other guys I think Rod retired in 03 and I think he's the next player who played the most recent right so the Woodson's but you're looking at the era we live in now is so pass heavy but when you look at the players who have played recently I don't know if anybody's going to come up and crack the top five I think you could see Ken Riley top five for the next decade I mean he's been there since 83 he was a little bit higher than that actually before that, because Woodson came in, Rod Woodson came in and knocked him down from four. I wouldn't sit here and lie to you and make it seem like I watched Ken Riley. Man was retired well before I was even born, probably before I was even thought of. But he defied the odds being able to achieve what he was able to achieve and be the fifth leading interception, fifth leader in interceptions in NFL history after being a quarterback, not before he got to the NFL, He was a quarterback in the NFL. That's what you have to remember. It's not like he changed at the end of his FAMU tenure. He was a quarterback running practices as a quarterback. This is something that should not be understated and under discussed. The other way that he made a little bit of define the odds is making the Hall of Fame. See, he retired in 83. It's been 40 years since he retired, right? Unfortunately, he passed away, so he wasn't able to see this come to fruition. But his son, Ken Riley II, he's out here sending emails. He's creating charts comparing him to other, I think, either Hall of Famers or players of the time, right? Because once you get a certain time away from being a a uh, a, a, a player and retiring and not being in the Hall of Fame, a lot of times it begins to feel as if, all right, he's just not going to get in. See, I felt like he should have never been as successful as he was as a player because, come on, he went from quarterback to cornerback in the NFL, I have to keep stressing that, made that transition as an NFL player significantly more difficult than doing it in college. So for him to be a great player at all, define the odds. For him to be a great player who goes 40 years before he gets into the Hall of Fame, he has to be in the senior committee because, not because he's an older guy, but because he's been over 25 years since he retired. All of these things, and the fact that they had only been allowing one in, and this year they allowed three, all of these things I feel like I define the odds. And the determination that Ken Riley II put in to make sure that his father made it into the Hall of Fame I think is extremely reflective of the determination that Ken Riley, the football player, had to transition from quarterback to cornerback and actually become an NFL great and now an NFL Hall of Famer. So on this non-feature Friday, but I guess make-up Monday, right? Memorializing Monday? Nah, we'll just go with Feature Friday, Makeup Monday. So we're just going to rock with that. But on this day, I do want to say that Ken Riley's legacy is one of defying the odds. And moving forward, I want to discuss really quickly, really, really quickly about the new Prairie View athletic director and why some people might be disappointed, but this is still a good hire as we continue with Locked On HBCU. And as we wrapping up today's episode of Locked on HBCU, I appreciate you for making us your first listen of the day every day. Truly making it all the way to segment three. And I thank you two times for that. So thank you. Now, Prairie View has a new athletic director. And despite being the second choice, is a very strong hire, in my opinion. And I'll be honest with you, Anton Goff, Goff, excuse me, like Jared Goff, not Goff, Goff. Um, I think he's going to be a good hire for Prairie View. But unfortunately, there's going to be a probably a good amount of people who are disappointed. And that's nothing to do with golf. It simply has to do with the fact that his name is not Ashley Robinson. And that's what I hate about the fact when reports get out. like when reports get out there and not only reports like Jackson State confirmed. Ashley Robinson confirmed. Yeah, we were sought after and we know who the sought after was, right? It was Prairie View. And I don't blame Prairie View for wanting Ashley Robinson. I mean, look at him. He's done a great job at Jackson State. He did a great job at Prairie View. So they know exactly what he's capable of. And I understand that fans are probably excited. Oh, we're going to get Ashley Robinson. It doesn't happen. It's just, it's the disappointment from Ashley Robinson still lingering that doesn't quite allow you to see that this is a good hire in Anton Goff. Because listen, I know I'm not everybody's first choice. Nobody is. But at the same time, I would like to never know whose first choice I wasn't. Right. Like, I want to just assume in situations, but don't ever confirm my suspicions, my suspicions. Then then we have a problem. If I ain't your first choice, that's that's fine. But why would you tell me this? But when reports like this come out and you're heavily uh, trying to get Ashley Robinson and then you don't have him, you know, this is the second choice. But sometimes the second choice is the best decision. You know how many second choices I had? I- I'll be honest with you. Quick story, because I'm not going to believe it a point, beliger it a point, believe it a point. I don't know. I'm not going to, (laughs) we're not doing a second cut. I'm not going to weigh on the point too long. This wasn't my first choice. This ain't the first thing I wanted to do in my life. I'll be honest with you. Sports media is not the first thing I wanted to do in my life. But guess what? As a 25-year-old, the first thing I wanted to do in my life, thank God I didn't do it. I'm so happy that I chose this. Sometimes the second choice is the best choice for you. Sometimes it's the proper fit. You just don't know sometimes. But when you look at what Goff has done, and not to be too deep about it and whatnot, right, and let's just look at what his qualifications are, you're looking at a man who is extremely experienced. He's been 25 years in this game, a quarter century in the athletic administration field, and he's also been the athletic director for an HBCU in Bowie State. So I want to read to you real quick exactly what he did while he was at Bowie State, because I think sometimes seeing someone's qualifications can make you feel a little bit more confident. And I want you to get that Ashley Robinson stench off of you. It's cool, man. Like, it didn't happen, but it's all right. Let's look at what golf is. He has increased, and this is what he did at Bowie State, accredited by the Bowie State Athletic website. Increased student-athletes' academic success rate, raised that Axie higher than a percentage of the overall population, the school population. He enhanced the existing facilities, including new football stadium lights, new locker rooms, uh concessions and a new hvac system in the gym. Then lastly he exceeded fundraising targets through both private donations and governmental lobbying. Now if i'm not mistaken, pv has one of i think i think i've seen them listed as one of the best fcs athletic facilities out there, mostly focusing on the weight room and things of that nature, right? i believe. Well, how do you think that's done? It's done through exceeding fund, fundraising targets through both Private donations and governmental lobbying. That's how those things are executed, right? And overall, he's credited with developing and executing strategic plans of the department, which kind of just encompasses all of this. It just kind of puts it all into a belabor. That was, it was either belabor or beleaguered, but I think it's belabor. I think that's what I was trying to say earlier. But that just kind of encompasses all of this together. But it also is a confidence building term. Like when you hear, oh, you executed and developed strategic plans, I can put trust in you to develop and execute strategic plans for us. You know, because that feels more vague. That feels more general and more applicable to whatever the next stop is going to be. So I wanted to add that term on there. But when you look at the facilities, it comes from making money when it comes to not only sitting back and resting on the fact that those facilities are good, but improving those facilities so that you don't get overtaken as one of the best out. You have to make money. So, when you're generating money, when you're improving facilities, when you're increasing the graduation rate of your student athletes, when you're winning championships, because they did that as well, you're checking all the boxes as an athletic director. And you checked all the boxes as well. Check segment one, check segment two, check segment three. Check making this your first listen of the day every day. I appreciate you for doing that. I will repay you. By coming back tomorrow, discussing the Buck Buchanan Award watch list, which features multiple HBCU players, and we'll be breaking down that list. But until then, I appreciate you. Take care. Stay blessed. Peace.